0: Amen. Good morning. You guys sound great this morning. It's good to be here with you. I just want to start off by saying thank you. Uh, This past Friday, uh, several of us were at the food bank, several of you were at the food bank, and I just want to say thank you for serving and being part of that ministry and just helping us make much of Jesus in our community. And we, we just want to continue to do that. Also, last Sunday, man, last Sunday, was awesome. I, I love the fact that we, we, we packed this place out with the one service on 10, in 1030. And it was just an amazing time of worship. I always enjoy Fist Sundays uh, because I feel like I get to preach to the kids. And that's like on my level right there, you know what I mean? And so uh, I love it. I love it. And so, man, it was just an awesome time last, last week. So thank you guys for that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Ephesians. It's in the New Testament. The book of Ephesians, chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. It's a, a, the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. Um, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and so we're going to be looking at Ephesians. He, he wrote this letter, this book, to the church in Ephesus. So if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see uh, where he was in Ephesus, and he uh, ministered there, and then he wrote the book of Ephesians for that church, just to give you some information there about that. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, you can hold that in place, and uh, you notice that there is a, uh, a Gatorade bucket up here, I was told on Facebook yesterday that I might be getting a uh, Gatorade bath uh, today in lieu of the Super Bowl, that's tonight, uh, so after service I might be getting Gatorade dumped on me, I don't know uh but uh I thought that was funny. Uh but I tell you what I do hope. I hope and pray that the Atlanta Falcons coach gets Gatorade dumped on him tonight. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Amen. Come on. Come on. Yes. Yes. Now, I, I did tell first service, I'm not going to pray out loud uh for the Falcons uh today cuz I feel like that I, I I I did something wrong when I prayed for the Steelers a couple weeks ago. And so uh I'm going to leave it at that, and uh, I'm just going to go home and uh, go in my prayer closet and pray for the Falcons uh, tonight. Anyways, <laughs> I also told first service that, uh, that I was a bit nervous, uh, more nervous today than usual because of the content and the subject that we're going to talk about today, uh, although I'm not as nervous now because I have the one service under my belt. And so hopefully, hopefully this won't be as bad, but I was telling them that I was kind of reverting back to my, my days in Bible college of my homiletics professor, the one who teaches about preaching and things, and I was kind of going over my head, okay, slow your breathing down, slow your thing. down. <laughs> I kept doing that. So, uh, but today we're, we're going to be hitting a, uh, a very sensitive uh, subject um, as we wrap up our series on counterculture, and we're going to be talking about the gospel and race and ethnicity. And so we're going we're gonna to get started in that today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. Uh, we thank you for uh, the church, and we thank you for the opportunity for us to get together uh, as one body. And um, God, not just here, but just across the globe. God, as your church uh, meets in buildings like this, or they may be meeting in uh, underground and private because of fear of, of persecution. God, we can all, as as one church, uh, just lift our voices up to you in unity and to worship you because you are you alone are worthy. God, we thank you for the message that's in those songs that you are, that you are faithful and that you are true and that you are, uh, never changing. And, and and God, we just hold on to that truth and that promise as we live in a, a world and a culture that is constantly changing, that is constantly chaotic. And we just we thank you that that you are you are constant, that your love is unfailing. And we just hold on to that promise. We hold on to that truth. Father, I pray now that as we dive into your word, that you will open our minds and our hearts. Um, God, that you will fill this place with your spirit, and that you will move, God, that you will um, just open our minds and our hearts, uh, that you will convict us where we need to be convicted and that we might grow uh, to be more and more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, it was about 11 years ago, and I remember it very well. I was serving as a youth minister at my home church, and uh, Robin was there with me, and we were sitting in the fellowship hall of our home church there, and I was talking with several of the youth in the fellowship hall. A lot of the high schoolers were in there. And as we were having a conversation, as I was talking with the youth, uh, I noticed that one of our deacons of the church uh, was... Uh, standing off to the side, and and I don't know that he was really observing, but he was just kind of sitting there, and I guess he could hear what we were talking about, and uh, so I guess maybe he was observing, I don't don't know, Uh, but we were just having a casual conversation, and and then the high school students began to talk about uh, their Hollywood crush, okay, and I don't know if you've ever done this before or not, but this is what uh, kids do oftentimes, they talk about their Hollywood crush, they were naming off movie stars and singers and, and actresses and, you know, people they have a crush on. And so we were sitting there listening to that, and then all of a sudden they asked me, they said, hey, Aaron, who is your Hollywood crush? Okay, And without hesitation, I said, hands down, and before I give you the answer, just know this, that my wife was sitting beside me, all right? so she knows who my Hollywood crush is, and, uh, and so there's no secrets there, and I said, hands down, I said, Alicia Keys. All right? Now, if you don't know who Alicia Keys is, I've got a picture here, I'll go ahead and pop that picture up, and um, now, th- that's Alicia Keys <laughs> with Robin's head on it. All right, And she has done this before. She's done this before. It's kind of a joke. But anyway, so if you don't know who Alicia Keys is, then go home and you can Google Alicia Keys and see uh, why she's my Hollywood crush, right? And, uh, and so, so we, we said all that. And, um, and after a few more minutes of joking around with the kids, the, the deacon approaches me, pulls me off to the side. I think the kids had kind of walked out or whatever. And he, he asked me a question that just really, totally caught me off guard. Like, I, I'm pretty sure that my jaw dropped to the floor when he asked me this question. And he said, and I quote, you don't teach the kids that it's okay to have interracial relationships. And I, let me just say that it took everything that I had not to go crazy on him at that moment. Like, you remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about uh, when you feel you, you, you're yourself inside, like, beginning to get angry and upset, and you just got to kind of... T- Take a time out for a minute. You know, I had, to, I had to throw up my hands and say time out. I had to walk out for a few minutes uh, as, I, as I got my composure. Because what ended up happening is, is he began making a case to me against interracial relationships from Genesis chapter 1. And, and he, so he, he took me through Genesis chapter 1, and this is what he said, you know, where God is, so Genesis chapter 1 is the very first book of the Bible, it's the kind of, the, uh, it's, it's the book of beginnings, and so in, in Genesis 1, God is creating the world that we live in, and, and, and so we have this, uh, this rhythm that God is speaking, and it says, God created the great sea creatures, sand, uh, creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and he was kind of focusing in on that their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And then he said, I quote, you know, red foxes with red foxes, brown foxes, brown foxes. And, and I was sitting there thinking, man, this guy is a leader in this church. I mean, I grew up with this guy, I seemed to have it all together. And somewhere along the way, someone had discipled him this way. And the reality for us this morning is, is we live in a culture, we live in a world that is divided when it comes to the issue of race and ethnicity. I mean, we battle with race and ethno superiority where one group feels superior to another group. And this isn't just a 21st century type of problem, right? This is going on in Jesus' day. I mean, he would have uh, Jews in the temple praying that he would not save Samaritans. Jews would not even associate with Gentiles. They were considered unclean. On top of that, we live in a culture that no longer knows how to have a conversation. Right? We've, we've lost the ability in so many ways fueled by the divisive design of social media. Right? The platform of social media is not built on uh, this platform to be neutral, but to be divisive. Right? Think about it. My friends, not my friends. My interests, not my interests. And it's, it's designed to divide us. Fueled by that, we've lost in our culture the ability to speak to one another, to disagree civilly, much less lovingly, about matters that we hold deep convictions about. And so even in the church, man, Christians have lost the capacity to genuinely and humbly converse with one another about differences and perspectives and just truly listen. It's it's what psychologists uh, call active listening. And if you've, if you've ever been to marriage counseling, marriage counseling, you've probably heard that term too. Um, and so the point is, is you're not listening just so you can respond with your right opinion. But, but you actively listen so that you can learn. And so the church, along with our culture, man, we've lost the art of talking and listening about topics, especially topics, topics as sensitive as, as race and ethnicity. And so when a new headline, and we've had a lot of headlines lately in the news, but when a new headline comes along, and, and there will be a new one, if not today, tomorrow, if not tomorrow, next week, and so on, we see in our culture just how poorly we are at uh, at having conversations, right? Our, our, our impulse, our knee-jerk reaction is to, to be quick to speak and slow to listen. And unfortunately, we are quick to get angry, and the scripture tells us that the anger of man never produces the righteousness that pleases God. And so, so my prayer and hope today is that we can learn from God's word, that we can continue to, to have these conversations as a church, and that honestly we can seek to grow in our racial and ethnic intelligence, empathy, and diversity. That, that's, that's my hope and prayer for today, and, and so I just want to begin the conversations with you. And so it may get a little awkward at times, and that's that's okay. It may get a little uncomfortable. But if we, as followers of Jesus, are going to live counterculture, we've got to address issues like this, and more importantly, we've got to see how the gospel affects race and ethnicity. So let's just take a little primer course here and remind ourselves of what the gospel is, okay? The word gospel simply means good news. That's why our purpose statement is, it says, to make much of Jesus and to reach people with the gospel, disciple people in the gospel and quick people to share the gospel, right? The gospel is the main thing. The gospel is the good news, and um, for good news to be good, it has to invade dark spaces, right? And so good news, it invades the dark space and it sheds light where there isn't any light at all. And so this is the nature of the gospel, right? The, the gospel invades brokenness, it invades mistrust, it invades anger and unforgiveness. It invades racism and hate and fractural relationships. And it enters into that brokenness. And what it does is it, it restores. It, it reconciles. The gospel compels us to, to enter in. And that's what this whole series, counterculture has been about, right? That's been the premise. Every single week that we've talked about uh, different things, we've said, hey, man, the gospel compels us to enter in. That's what Jesus did. He came in. Right, so we, so we don't disengage, we don't step away from conversations, we don't, you know, because for, for, we're afraid that we're going to say something silly or we're afraid that we're going to offend somebody. No, no, rather the gospel compels us to enter in. And, and I tell you, man, the church has the opportunity to be a beautiful picture of what God has done through Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to ask up front, man, that let's, let's just be patient, let's be gracious, and let's, let's do this, okay? So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 and we're going to look at four things today. So if you uh, are one of those people that like sermon points, here you go. I'm going to give you four points today, all right? So you got your pens out and paper? The first point is this. We're going to look at the source of all unity, the source of all unity. And then secondly, we're going to look at the source of all division, all right? The person who's, who's, who's the source of that. And then third, uh, we are going to look at the peace that Christ brings and forth. We're going to look at our response to all of this. So you guys ready? Scripture is going to be on the screen if you don't have a Bible or you can share with your neighbor. Let's go with it. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So let's start there in verse 6, where it says, One God and Father of all. God is the source of all unity for people. Genesis 1, 26, and 27 make this clear. Again, Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. It's the, the book of beginnings. It's the creation account. And as you read through Genesis 1, um, it's interesting to note how humankind stands outside of the rhythm of the rest of creation. Right? So as you read through that, the rest of creation, God is speaking things into existence. He says, Let there be light. And then there was light. Let there be an expanse. Right? And so that, that, that's, that's kind of the the rhythm throughout Genesis chapter 1, and then when it gets to us, it's no longer let there be. When it gets to humankind, God, the Godhead, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and God the Holy Spirit says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, says, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And so what we see in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is that humanity is higher than and greater than Anything else God created, regardless of what anyone says to you, uh, God says that we were all made in His image. This is the Mago day, the image of God. And because of this, every single human being, regardless of race, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of physical and mental ability, every single person has value and worth. Amen. And what this means is, is that no human being is more or less human than another. There's, there's, there's all human beings were made to know God, to love God, and to worship God. And so, so Genesis 1 and 2 kind of lays this foundation for us. But then, then you go over to 10 chapters, to Genesis chapter 10. And it expands on this, right? And so you read in Genesis chapter 10, verse 31, you can write it down. uh, It says that uh, that, that, that the people were divided according to their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Now, Now, here's what's amazing to me, man, is that all these divisions trace their human ancestry back to one family. One couple, Adam and Eve. And this is what Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, uh, writes in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 17, verse 26, when he talks to a crowd of philosophers in Athens. And this is what he says. It's on the screen there. He says, go ahead and pull that up there. Eva, I think it's on the screen. Yeah. He said, and he made, talking about God, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place now the word nation in that verse is ethnos in the greek and it means ethnic groups so god made from one man every nation and every ethnic group like i I don't know does that not just blow your mind right like you read that and you think wow that's amazing right that means that that this different uh the, the different ethnic groups and races are not a result of the fall now, I don't know if you've ever been taught that or if you've ever heard that. I've heard that before, that, 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 that you know, it's a result of the fall. Or people will reference the, the, uh, Babel, um, the, what, the Babylon, the Tower of Babel. Yeah, I want to say Babylonian. The Tower of Babel. And they'll say, well, that's, that's when God... But if you read that chapter, chapter 11 of Genesis closely, it, it, God, God confuses their language. Right? Because we read in chapter 10 that, 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 that they already existed. Right? And so the the point is, is that the races and ethnicities are here by the design of God, our creator. And in the same way, listen, in the same way that he created all of his creation with diversity. I mean, think about the different types of trees and plants and animals, right? The, the, The same way that he created that with diversity and beauty and glory, so he created the crown jewel, which is us, he created us with diversity. Every single person comes from Adam, which means that we all have the same roots. that, that is, is amazing, right? And what's amazing is, is and I learned this as I was studying for this sermon, is that that science is actually beginning to prove what the Bible says on this issue. Did you know that? I don't know how many of you ever uh, know that, but, but I, I'll read you some of this stuff. And this is what they've discovered, right? That regardless of the shape of eyes or the shape of the nose or whatever else can be categorized and characterized within ethnic groups that all serve the same function and all have been designed to the same end. And then they go on to say that data shows that the DNA of any two human beings is 99.9% identical and we all share the same set of genes, scientifically validating the existence of a single biological human race and one origin for all human beings. That's science right there. That's science. That has just proven what the Bible has already said. I love it when, when science finally catches up to the Bible, right? Isn't that awesome? So you could take somebody that lives on the other side of the world, and you could bring them over here, and you could break open their body, and you could look at the eyes. Every, everything is i think it's 99.9%. That's amazing. And so we might ask the question, then what race was Adam and Eve? And I love what David Platt says in his book, Counterculture. He says, well, that's obvious. They were the human race. But another question that we might raise is, well, what color was their skin? That's the question we want to know. What color was their skin? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. And in most picture Bibles in the West where we live, we've painted a portrait of a a fair-skinned Adam and Eve. But we have absolutely no basis for this assumption. And if I was a betting man, and I'm not, but if I was a betting man, I would almost be willing to bet the farm that they weren't fair-skinned. I mean, just think geographically for a second. I mean, the, 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 the Bible, the Genesis, it kind of opens up this, the, this grand narrative of the Bible. It kind of opens up, and God creates, and, and it all kind of happens over in the modern-day Middle East area. And, and, and if you want a great website to go to, and they go a little bit deeper in this, uh, go to Answers in Genesis, and it's, they explain a, a great deal of, of this, and it's awesome. But you think about it, right? So, so they're, they're close to the equator, which means it's going to get a little, little hotter over there. And if Adam and Eve had been fair-skinned, they would have suffered third-degree burns, <laughs> right? I'm pretty sure when God created them, he didn't hand them a bottle of sunscreen and say, here, you guys are going to need this right? Maybe, I I don't know, but I I doubt it. I doubt it. I doubt it. But regardless, the point is, we find ourselves thinking and talking about people in terms the Bible doesn't even use, right? More importantly, God's Word does not equate membership in terms, um, membership in the human race with skin tone. So whatever, whatever color Adam and Eve were, they contained in them the DNA designed by God that would eventually develop into a multicolored family across a multicultural world. Because our God is awesome. Our God is great. So fundamentally, we are all a part of the same race. But the reason we are where we are today, the reason why there is so much tension and craziness going on in our world is because we have a common enemy, and that is Satan. This is evident from Genesis chapter 3. There's a lot that happens in the beginning of Genesis. If you've never read it, I would encourage you to go read Genesis. But Genesis chapter 3 is when Satan comes onto the scene, and he tempts Adam and Eve to rebel against their creator. And what you see from the start is division, right? So so when God finds Adam and asks him, to say, what's going on? Adam doesn't say, God, I messed up. It's all me, right? What what does Adam say? He says, it's it's this wife. It's this woman you gave me. He blames, right? There's, There's division there. And so Satan's goal is to divide. He wants us to, Satan wants us to look at our our race and our ethnicity. He wants us to have that superiority complex. He wants us to say, man, our our race is greater than your race, or our our ethnicity is greater than, he wants us to do He wants us to see those things, and and that's what he wants to do. He wants to divide us, and Satan, Satan hates the world. Listen, John 3, 16, it says that God, for God so loved the world. Satan hates the world. Satan hates God. He crea- he, Satan hates everything that God has created. Listen, we were created in the image of God. And so Satan hates us. He hates white people. He hates black people. He hates Asians. He hates Latinos. He hates, he hates everybody. Satan wants to cause division. And so because of sin, man, we've created this division and we believe that, again, that that one race or ethnic group is superior to another. I want you to think about this for a second. If you just think back in in history, you you could almost identify every injustice, every social injustice, every genocide. You could trace it back to this issue of superiority. Where one, one race or one ethnic group believes they're superior than the other. And it's pride and arrogance. Also, because of sin, we tend to migrate to our own type of people. Because, listen, it's it's comfortable and easier that way. Right? Sin causes us to do this. We're drawn towards those like us because, listen, to embrace diversity is to lean into uncomfortable conversations and to risk being misunderstood and also to risk offending someone else. And so it's just easier for us to migrate to our own people that look like us. And can we just be honest for a second? When we're in church, we can be honest, right? Privilege is a reality in our culture. <clears throat> there are doors that are available and open to some that we did not have to kick open. That were just normative to us. And it's so normative that we don't even know that they exist. And that we will get offended if someone brings it up and says they do. I heard a guy uh, this past week, a couple weeks ago, illustrate this point, and I thought it was good, and so I'll share it with you guys. But he illustrated the point with left-handed people, okay, left-handed people. Any left-handed people in the room? Raise your hand. Left-handed, all right? So, so just a handful of you, right? You, you guys are, are the minority in the room. And, uh, and, and what, he was bringing, what he was talking about is he went on to explain left-handed scissors. Now, have you ever heard of, if you're right-handed, have you ever heard of left-handed scissors? Like, I I had never heard of left-handed scissors before, right? And and so if you're left-handed, you're like, of course I have. They're they're scissors, right? That's just just what we call scissors. Uh, So why do we call them left-handed scissors, but we don't call right-handed scissors right-handed scissors? Because right-handed is the assumed norm in our culture. You see what I'm saying here? We, we live uh, in a predominantly right-handed culture, and if you're right-handed, that's just the norm for you, right? And listen, this, this, this might oversimplify a very complex and complicated idea, but I, but I thought it might help us understand that privilege does exist in our culture. And many of, us, many of us in this room have experienced it, and I think it's important for us to be aware of how that might be shaping our perspectives and our preferences. We've we just got to be aware of it, right? I want to show you an example from Scripture of how Satan wants to divide us over this issue of race and ethnicity. So Galatians chapter 2, again, Galatians is in the New Testament. It's the book before Ephesians, Galatians Ephesians. And again, the Apostle Paul writes this book. Uh, so if anybody ever asks you a Bible question and it's a quiz and say, like, who wrote this book in the Bible? If you guess Paul, you're probably going to get it right most of the time. If, and if you don't guess Paul, just say Jesus, okay? That's always the answer to say so, so Paul is writing this book in Galatians, and he's writing uh, to a group, and so he, he actually is confronting uh, one of the apostles, Peter. If you don't know who Peter is, Peter is one of the guys who followed Jesus. He was one of the, the kind of the pillar that started the church in Acts chapter 2. Well, let me, let me just kind of give you a little bit of background on what's going on here. So, so in Acts chapter 10, Peter is staying at this guy's house, and he has this vision. And this vision is of a sheep that kind of comes down from heaven, and all these different animals... Uh, come across this sheet, and, and, and a voice from heaven, which is God, says, Peter, get up and, and kill and eat. And Peter, being a Jew, because a lot of those animals that came across that sheet were unclean for Jews to eat, Peter says, being a good Jew that he was, says, no, Lord, nothing ever unclean has ever touched my, my lips. And then he goes on, the, the voice says, don't call uh, what I've made unclean um, because it's clean now, right? And then he goes on, then that's the vision that, that, that tells Peter to go on to the house of Cornelius, who is a Gentile, to share the gospel with him. And so that's kind of the setting here, right? And so so um, Peter is in Antioch, in Galatians, and he's, he's hanging out with the Gentiles, and he's having a great time. Um, he's eating with them. Listen, he's probably eating some bacon-wrapped pork ribs, right? He's having a great time. He's probably listening to some Gentile music. He's got some Alicia Keys playing on the, on the, on the, on the, on the iTunes, He's, he's having a great time, and he's loving it. And then, and then a group of Jews rolled in, and he got embarrassed. Right, this goes back to what I was saying earlier, right? That, that it's, it's a little easier. Uh, we kind of migrate to the people that, that, that look like us. And so, so these, these Jews roll in, and he sees them, and he kind of gets embarrassed. And he actually pulls away from the Gentiles. Like, I mean, like completely pulls away from them. So, so let's start reading here. It says, but when Cephas... Uh, came, and he calls him Cephas, by the way, it's another name for Peter, and it's the name that Paul used whenever he was mad at Peter. So basically what he's saying is, is, but when Cephas, who I want to punch in the mouth, came to Antioch, that's the translation there, okay? Are you guys still with me? Are you following along? Okay, good. So, uh, so, so when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, which is the Jews. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas, man, good old son of encouragement, Barnabas, was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct, I love this verse right here, but when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas, who I want to punch in the mouth, Before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? I mean, Paul just flat out calls him out and says, Dude, you you are not in step with the gospel. To refuse to enter into God's plan to diversify his people is out of step with the gospel. It's anti-gospel. And so what's the solution? Well, there is is hope, there is grace, there is forgiveness to the dilemma that we all are in. And, of course, the solution for the unity of God's people is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3 back in our text of Ephesians chapter 4. It says we need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so Jesus is our peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Two chapters earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to listen how Paul describes just what Jesus has done for us through the cross, okay? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 19, if you want to follow along, you can, but listen to this description. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Man, right there is a beautiful picture. A beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us. See, where Satan wants to divide the culture, the gospel counters culture and seeks to restore and to reconcile. He just beautifully describes the unique power of the gospel to unite people from different races and different ethnic groups. When Christ goes to the cross, he conquered sin, making the way for people to be free from its hold and be restored back to God. And he brought us together as one family, and now by his blood, we are all one. And so there are people who are worshiping on the other side of the world who look totally different from us, and we are all brothers and sisters. We are one in Christ. Amen? We become brothers and sisters regardless of race and ethnicity. And that's an awesome thing. One of the coolest experiences for me was being able to, this past uh, summer, go with our missions director, John Bukowski, uh, over to England to visit one of our missionary partners, the Ajo family. And while while we were there, we met uh, Rehoboth is his name. I got the picture there, Eva, if you want to pull that up. That's Rehoboth. And uh, he is a pastor there in Birmingham, England at an... Uh, Eritrean Church. Now if you're not familiar with Eritrea, if you're not good at geography, uh, Eritrea is kind of in in the horn of Africa there. It borders the Red Sea, uh, Ethiopia, and the Sudan. And there's a lot of persecution in that country. And we got to uh, sit down with the leadership of this church and to have some just amazing conversations. And I'm gonna tell you, man, it was refreshing to be able to sit down and, and to talk to them and, and to hear about their persecution and what they experienced over in, in their country and how they fled for their life and their families fled for their life and they sought asylum in, in England. And it's just it was amazing to be able to do that. And so we got to sit there and talk to them, and then we got to, to enjoy the worship service in their church. And it was great, man, because we were sitting up in the front row, and it was just an amazing. Like, we understood absolutely nothing they were saying. But it was a beautiful thing because you could tell that they had Jesus in them. You know what I'm saying? It was just a beautiful thing. And then, and then afterwards, man, we got to experience their ethnic and cultural diversity because they took us to an Eritrean restaurant for Eritrean food. And I never never had this before, and I loved it because we get into the restaurant in Rehoboth. We sit down. I sit across from Rehoboth, and he looks at me and says, you, you probably want to go wash your hands before the food comes out because Eritrean food you eat with your hands. I don't know if you've anybody ever had Eritrean food. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. But it was, it was interesting, right? And so, so we got to experience that. And we got to share in, in all that. And it was just a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to look like. Like, this is, this is what it's supposed to look like, man. It's just, it's just it's a beautiful picture of that. And so while the gospel breaks down the wall of hostility, I want you to hear me on this. The gospel doesn't deny the obvious ethnic, cultural, and historical differences that distinguish us from one another. Nor does the gospel suppose that these differences are superficial. So so we don't disregard those things. We embrace those things, right? Remember, the gospel begins with a God who creates all men and women in in His image and then diversifies humanity according to clans and lands as a creative reflection of His grace and glory. So the gospel compels us to to engage and to celebrate these differences, to have conversations and to learn about other cultures and differences and to grow in those things. That, that's what we need to be doing. Not, not be divided or be so quick to be offended. So, so in light of this, how do we respond? Let's, let's wrap this up. Um, so our response to this is, you know, go back to the, the passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4. You'll notice that he begins chapter 4 by saying, therefore. Therefore. Now, if you were here last week, I told the kids that any time that a sentence begins with therefore, you always ask yourself, the, what question do you ask yourself? What is it there for? right? Why is that there for?" And so, the, the previous three chapters of Ephesians, Paul has just beautifully laid out this, this doctrine uh, what, of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Right? He's, he's basically said um, that, that God has called us by grace, that we have been raised from the dead, that we have been reconciled to God and each other, and that we have victory through Jesus Christ. He's laid out all these things in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And so in chapter 4, he says in light of what God has done for you. Right? Like, this is what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. In light of all that, therefore walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. Walk in humility. Consider others better than yourself. Walk with gentleness and patience and love. That's what Paul is saying. You know, I've recently been introduced to a new term, and maybe you have too. Maybe you've heard this term. It's just kind of new. It's called emotional IQ. Anybody familiar with emotional IQ? Anybody heard that term? Um, it basically refers to uh, emotional I- intelligence, right? And so it, the best way to explain it is like emotional awareness. And so I'll, I'll read you kind of the definition here, and I'll just say up front that I don't think this describes anybody in this room because uh, I think all of you guys are, are, are really good at this. You're emotionally aware. I say that sarcastically, by the way. You, you can laugh. You can laugh in church. It's Okay. But, but it's, So as I read this, some of you are going to be in your mind thinking, oh, I know somebody like that, okay? Uh, it's just people who just are, are just socially, just they're unaware, right? And this is, this is what it says. Um, it's the idea that we are able to, uh, to grow in self-awareness. It says the capacity to be aware of, control, and express your own emotions and the ability to handle relationships with others fairly and with empathy, right? So the ability to understand and share the feelings of others. And if you Google emotional intelligence, if you go home and Google this, you'll, you'll pull up like 13 million results. There'll be articles and videos and books and seminars that you can, you can look. And it's all an effort to show us that we can kind of grow in our emotional intelligence. But what I want to encourage you with today is this. As Christians, we, we have a shortcut. Like, you don't need to go home and Google this. Because we have a shortcut. We have the most powerful tool to increase our emotional intelligence and it's the Holy Spirit of God And as followers of Jesus if you are here and you have put your faith and trust in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross then you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you and 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 the way that we are continually filled by the Spirit of God the way we grow in that is by filling our minds and our hearts with the Word of God how many times do I tell you, man, that the, one of the most important things you can do is to read this book every day? I love seeing so many of you on Version, the app on your phone, reading the Word of God, man. This, this is how you fill your mind with the Spirit of God. And then he, the Holy Spirit will then empower us to live by the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul references that in the book of Galatians. Where we are able to control our emotions, right? The the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So I'm able to then walk in a manner that is worthy. I'm able to be kind and gentle. I'm able to love others. I'm I'm not easily offended. Right? It's the idea of of less of me. Following Jesus is about denying yourself less of me and more of him. Philippians chapter 2. Paul says that, that, that Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. That is, that is putting others before yourself. And, and that's, that's what we need to do. We need to be willing to, to grow in this and to put others before ourselves. And as I seek to be more like Jesus, I will t- in turn love others more and more, no matter what their color, their race, or ethnicity. I love them and consider them better than myself. And so I just want to encourage you to be in the Word, to be kind in your conversations about sensitive subjects. Let's, let's be gentle with each other. Let's be patient with each other. Let's, let's, not, let's not pull away, but let's engage. The gospel compels us to do that. Let's, let's engage with each other, and let's learn. Let's grow in our Racial IQ and ethnic IQ and, and diversity, right? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for um, just the, the truth. And God, the reality is we live in a broken world. We live in a world that is just that is divided because Satan, our enemy, seeks to divide. And, Father, as followers of you, our desire is to, to reconcile, to uh, restore, to, to enter in. So, Father, I just pray now that as we come to a time of prayer, that we would just uh, continue to think about what's been said and that, that, that your spirit would move and that we would be convicted, God, we would need to be convicted, and that we might repent, God, we need to repent. And, and that you would, you would forgive us, and we thank you for your faithfulness. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to stand together, and we're going to sing a song, and, and this is what I want to encourage you to do, okay? We're going to have some prayer team members up here, and, and you may just be going through a difficult time right now. You may, uh, maybe something that's been said today, you, you're like, hey, I, I really am convicted on that, and you just want to be prayed with, or, or maybe it has nothing to do with what we talked about today. Maybe you're just struggling in life in general and that's okay because we want to encourage you and we want to pray for you and uh, that, that's why we want to walk alongside of you. So there'll be prayer team members up front. There'll be a prayer team member in the back. We would love to pray with you. And then if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you've never experienced that forgiveness, like you haven't even been reconciled to God yet, then I, I want to talk to you. I want to uh, share with you how you can make that happen. So would you guys stand with us and sing, and uh, let's do that.